Welcome to KafaruCast, everyone. It's 8.45 Mountain Standard Time, and I am on the mic with my good friend Randy Cooling with Safari Tough. What's what's up in the great state of Michigan? Oh, hi, Aaron. I uh, woke up to nine inches of snow this morning, and I'm so tired of it already. I don't know. It's cold, it's six degrees, and I was ready for summer a month ago. Oh, I, I bet. You, um, you recently retired. How's the uh, retirement life? I'm loving it. I don't even think about my my old elevator job. Uh, <laughs> apparently, doing it for 42 years makes you bitter enough, or something that when you, when you quit, it's it's like it's a it's a new life. It's just it's great. I was worried, you know, it was hard to do it, but uh, just finally pulled the plug. And uh, everybody that I talked to that retired told me they never ever regretted it, and they were right. It's good advice. Yeah. Well, you you did elevators. We I had you on the podcast once before, which turned into more talking about construction than archery. But um, you'd worked for, you said, 40 years you were working on elevators? Yeah, 42 years. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> from getting out of high school till, till now. It shows you the age difference because I'm only 44, so there you go. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, but you you you're focusing more on Safari Tough now. And actually, why don't you, before we uh, forget, kind of let everybody know what you offer, what Safari Tough is, and a little bit about yourself for those that didn't listen to the first one. Yeah, I uh, I purchased Safari Tough from Rod Jenkins about a year and a half ago, and it was I did it thinking I was going to retire and give me something more to do and uh, maybe a little extra money to keep going on some hunts. Uh, uh, I, I have a very, very bad hunting habit. And as everybody knows, it can cost, uh, quite a bit to do it. So I did it and, uh, it's, it's been good. It's, it's given me a lot to do. Uh, my wife is really glad I did it. She's afraid I was going to just sit around the house and spend money and not with nothing to do, but, uh, no, it's working out well. Uh, I make a bow case, uh, back quiver. Uh, the back quiver is really unique. There's none other really made like it uh, that I know of. Um, it's It's got a lightweight, solid sheath around it, and you access the arrows from the bottom. Uh, it has a rain cover on the top and one over the hole where you access the arrows. Uh, that's optional. So it really protects your arrows uh, good, keeps your broadheads from rusting because it keeps everything dry, keeps the pine needles out and uh uh if you don't like shooting with a bow quiver or you like using a bow quiver just an arrow or two on it um it's 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 a great accessory uh my bow case is real unique i call it the transformer it holds a fully strung bow with a bow quiver full of arrows there's a slot you can unzip and when you travel you can uh take it take your bow down into three pieces, put it in it, it folds up, there's straps, it locks together, and uh, you can just throw it in your uh, travel duffel between your clothes. Uh, it will hold two takedowns, so uh, if you're needing that. Uh, I make tabs now also that are really well made by uh, Master Craftsmen. Um, I'm selling the Three Rivers traditional-only bare bow arrows. They're all white. They have a great finish, and for bare bow shooters and even shooting instinctive, the guys are loving them. I'm selling quite a few of those, and uh, 
they have a great finish on them that it's uh it almost glows like when it's starting to get dark and that you can see the arrow really really well um and then i have some other things uh some other sleeves and stuff like that but those are those are the main items that i have right now gotcha and i haven't used everything um that you sell but i can't say the the quiver i use off and on for multiple different reasons if i'm in a very target rich environment. I'll actually load that up and my bow quiver. Um, other times in high wind, I may keep my, my bow quiver on, but I'll actually pull the arrows off and just go in with a back quiver. Cause the, the big issue when tuning is part of it. Your tune changes when you add weight or take away weight to the riser. But uh, wind is a mother um, with all those giant chicken feathers hanging off or trad your arrows. So the, uh, the back quiver is huge for that. And then uh, the bow case I, I use that probably uh, almost every trip, um, whether I throw it in the truck in case I need to throw my bow in the back when we're driving around or, you know, traveling because you can fold up everything in there and then kind of pat it in your clothes. So if you can imagine just a standard recurve looking bow case that folds or uh, unzips to a rectangle, you put your risers and limbs in the middle and then the wings on each side fold over the top, kind of makes a burrito over everything and protects it. And then I just throw it in one of my checked bags with clothes wedged around it and i've never had an issue and i fly a, a lot and i think you what happened to you what happened to you in russia somewhere somewhere where you're traveling oh yeah it it the bow case got the true test we were coming back from turkey uh, a year ago january and uh they held our stuff ransom our bows and arrows and they wouldn't let us put them in our duffels to ship them home so they did it so they could charge us extra baggage, and it cost me $240 to send my bow uh, back home on the airplane. And what they did, I had the transformer with my bows in it and everything, and they just threw it on the plane just like you would any other uh, suitcase or that. And it traveled from Turkey all the way back to Chicago that way. And when we got back, uh, I was worried what way things were going to be. Uh, we had... My arrow master, I, uh, an Easton arrow tube will slide down the inside of my arrow master. So I take my broadheads off, fill the tube up tight with arrows, and shove it down inside the arrow master. And that way I can shove it in a duffel bag too, right along with the bow, uh, as long as you have a 36 inch duffel bag. And uh, that they made us ship that separate too. So all these things just got thrown around, thrown around, and you know how things get treated and. Uh, Everything came back, and Denny Sturgis was with me. Same issues, and everything back came back, and all our stuff was good. So uh, that was probably about as much of a test as that bow case will ever get. Oh yeah, um, it is definitely not. Anytime I'm bringing a carry on on, and they ask me to check it, I about go into a panic attack because there's usually twenty grand in camera gear there. I'm like, no, we got to find another way. They are not. They're not nice to, to baggage when it's checked. It's horrible, especially just watch out your window when they're loading it. It'll give you nightmares, but you can watch them kick it and throw it, and they don't really care. So Yeah, yeah, I try not to watch my stuff getting handled. <laughs> I, I, came back, I came back from Australia, and my carry-on weighed same deal, though. Like you say, you got all this binoculars and everything in there, and they told me my carry-on was too heavy. They made me take out my camera, my binoculars, I don't know what all, and I had to carry it with me. I had to carry my carry-on in one hand 
and strap all this other stuff on my shoulder and that and carry it like in my other arm, a bundle and everything, and carry it like that onto the plane. I couldn't have it in that case, in that little carry-on case. It was just same weight and everything. It's just apparently they're worried about it falling off the open it up and being a certain weight for falling out of the overhead or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, but who, who knows? Ridiculous. Any trip traveling internationally, it's not good. No, it's it's a pain. It's and rules are different and change and people don't know what they're doing. You know, they they some people see a bow and they want to market a firearm and and start. You know, you can get in pretty good arguments with people a lot of times over the stuff. Oh yeah, especially when it's a matter of, matter of how it's going to be treated. You know. Yeah. Well, on that note. Do you want to kind of go into, um, you know, traveling? Um, you kind of go into how you set up your uh, your bags, what goes in what, and then I'll kind of do mine because that is a question I get uh, a lot uh, is, hey, when you travel, what goes where, and then how do you bring the, the meat back, which is easy. You can freeze the meat and throw it in a cooler and just pay the extra baggage fee if you want to bring it back. But your equipment, kind of go over that, uh, what systems you've found best, and I'll go over mine. Sure. Um, I, I found these duffel bags because weight is such a big deal, mainly because I'm, I hate giving the airlines any more money than I have to. And when you're only allowed 50 pounds a bag, you know, you can buy bigger bags and pay a bunch of money. And for what you'd have to pay extra over the cost of the trip, it's probably minor, but it's more just the idea of it. And I, so I, I use 30, these 36 inch bags from Eagle Creek, which they found out they just continued. They came out with another model. I need to get my hands on one and see. But they're a soft bag, but they have wheels on one end. And when you fill them up, that's what stiffens them up. And they only weighed five pounds. Where a normal bag, uh, wheeled duffel bag, weighs about 10 pounds. So, you know, obviously you're picking up five pounds of more gear you can fit in there. And a duffel bag that's 36 inches wide, or long, I mean, Normally, you pack it tight, and you're about 49, 50 pounds, 51 pounds. You're right in that by packing it tight. Um, so I always end up with two duffel bags. Um, normally, one bag has my clothes. I put a layer of clothes in it, and then I lay my transformer bow case with my arrows on top of that, and then I put another layer of clothes in it. Um, that one also, the arrow master with all, well, like I was saying with the Easton tuba arrows inside of it may go in that bag. Um, and in the other bag, I normally have my backpack. Uh, I'm talking no, no matter what, if, if I'm going on a hunt where I'm only going to need a day pack, I'll usually take that as a carry on. But like if I'm going on a sheep hunt or something like that, where I put my musk egg in the, and I lay that right in the bottom of the, uh, bag first and then I build around that. I take my shoes and and normally to get all this stuff to fit you really got to take your time putting it in there and line it up too because it, it's it's especially me you know you get a bigger I always tell everybody you know they they're saying you got that much weight or that much bag well I'm a big guy I got 2x clothes I got big feet everything weighs more and is bigger you know so I need more room and then I'll lay you know whatever little bags that, you know, I'll separate my stuff into that are going into my backpack. And, and, uh, normally I'll throw like my arrow master up, I'll, I'll put a tab in that. Um, and I'll have tabs different places. 
just so I always have them. Hunting license, I'll usually put in my Arrow Master 2 to make sure it's there and I don't run off without it if I have one with me at the time or if I have it already. That's, that's pretty much it. Oh, in the, also in the, in the bag with the backpack, I'll have my sleeping pad. I'll have my sleeping bag. Uh, my trekking poles will go in there. Pretty much everything except my clothes and my bow and arrows will go in the other bag. Gotcha. Now, when when I travel, um, I have a lot more camera gear. Um, not too much different than Randy, other than uh, you know my two my two checked bags um, is usually a loaded up ruck and then throwing in a duffel to protect it. Uh, you know, one of those uh, two checked bags sometimes will be depending upon what's going on, a, a hard case uh, with loaded with clothing and things like that to pad was ever in the hard case. But normally it's two soft cases. One of the soft cases has my tripod, monopod, uh, things like that, extra footwear. A lot of times I'll throw hot hands in if it's going to be cold. Uh, you know, all my clothing, just normal crap like that. In my carry-on bags, I have all my camera gear, my spotter, my 15s, my 10s or 12s, my Delorme inReach, my charger. Um, I usually don't throw my entire uh, kit in there for like my, my shaving kit. I, I, I'll usually have partial in my check bags and the rest in my, or excuse me, I'll have partial in my carry-on, the rest of my check bag, meaning I'll have my toothbrush, some contact solution, things like that, um, you know, in my, my, my carry-on. But my carry-on's all my expensive breakables and what I need, passport, uh, charging cables. Uh, I'll have a migraine pill, a backup set of contacts or my, my glasses, um, things like that. That way I've got total control of the really expensive stuff. And then my bow and arrows go in the duffel. So the one duffel's pretty much got tripod, you know, an arrow case with arrows or an arrow tube, uh, whatever it is, and I just wad clothing around it. When you travel first class with a lot of, uh, like United, you get 70 pounds instead of 50 for your checked bags. So a lot of times I'll book first class, mostly too, I like to sit in the front, but um, I get extra weight uh, in my bags and they're a little more forgiving on what you're bringing on as a checked bag or a carry on when you, when you fly first class, if you can afford that. You're supposed to slide your bag under the seat in front of you. I hardly ever do that in first class. They don't ever yell at me for it. Uh, but, you know, I have usually a 70 to 200 lens, uh, the 1DX3 or a 5D4 or an A7R3, something like that, at least a camera body or two with me. So you have to be pretty strategic with how you pack. And I've gotten better at it so I can half-ass and pack a night before. Um, but I think, Randy, you're the king of packing last minute, aren't you? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm always up. Or the, if somebody's driving to my house the next morning to leave, I get up early that morning to load everything. For one thing, I hate packing too early because I'm worried I'll forget something. Um, I used to be a lot better about it where I had a list of every single little thing and I'd check it off. And I've got to the point I just hate hate packing it at all. So, um, But, yeah, on the, for the carry-on, it's always all the, the electronics. Stuff goes in there. Paperwork for the hunt, if I need any. Um, I take an extra, usually try to jam an extra T-shirt in there somewhere too, in case I get spilled on or something while I'm while I'm flying. I can change my shirt out and just a few basic toiletries, just in case you get somewhere and nothing shows up. 
you don't get your bags, you can get by for the night or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I packing just turned into a, I don't know why I hate it so much. Yeah. I guess it seems like a waste of time. <laughs> I don't know. With me, I kind of half-ass pack early because Amy laughs because I always do the same thing the night before I almost repack. But I get everything kind of at least in a pile and maybe a semi-list. Yeah. And I'll have a few highlighted objects that I know I need to remember or I need to go to the store and grab. So Luco tape is something, for example, that, you know, I keep a stock of three or four rolls all the time. And I'll try to use one until it's about a half a roll. And then that's my travel Luco tape. Just because if I get heel rub, duct tape and all that shit doesn't not really doesn't really work that well compared to Luco. So there's things that I will have pre-packed early in a shaving kit, but the shaving kit won't go in the bag. I'll have all my clothes picked out, but it doesn't go in the bag. And then the night before I'll pack it, but I've kind of got some stuff ready. Yeah. I'll set a table up and kind of throw things on it as I think about them, which you bring up the Luco tape. Is there a certain brand of that you only buy? I've had some bad luck with some where I got some out to use it. I think when I was just up in Alaska and it's like the glue peeled off. It was dried out and the glue peeled off. And it wasn't even that old. I was just saying, I think it, with the Luco tape, what I've found, and I only buy Luco tape from, from Luco, if I have it in cold weather, hot weather, inside, outside, and the, yeah, you're right, the stickiness kind of goes away. So I, I kind of try to keep it at room temp in the house, and then I throw it in my, my travel pack before I leave. If I leave it down in the garage where it gets hot and cold, it doesn't stick worth the shit over after a while. And sometimes they probably just have a bad batch. Well, yeah, I, you know, I had a, I had a roll that wasn't even a year old, but it's in my house. But I was, I mean, I had to unroll, I bet. Oh, I don't even know. Three quarters of it before I got to some that would stick, you know, got down far enough. And for, for a tape that you can't get off hardly when you do get it on, it, it, I just had been having trouble with it. They you may know, have, who I knows, they had a bad batch. Yeah, like it dried out or something is what it was like. Yeah, I've had a couple guys out of all the people that have used Luco that have an allergic reaction to it and had to go to the hospital because uh, their their back of their heel blistered up. I'm like, oh, I haven't had that problem. Sorry. <laughs> that sucks. No, that stuff's awesome. I mean, I can put it on, put it on my heels. <laughs> I've, had it, I've had it stay on there, you know, on a backpack kind of. I've had it stay on there for probably five days before I changed it and that. I, I just, it works super. Oh, yeah. On the the Luco tape, just because I remember you telling me nightmares about your heels hurting so bad on one of your trips in the in the sleeping bag, it was killing you. But name off some of the, uh, some of the more highlighted, I, I mean, obviously you've hunted forever and killed a ton of shit. Some of the more highlight hunts you've been on, you know, and, and Randy is obviously a traditional archer, so these are all with a, with a recurve, but uh, kind of go over, you know, past, present, future, whatever, what what you got going on, what you've done, and what you're getting ready to do. Well, uh, yeah, as far as what I'm getting ready to do, um, I'm supposed to go polar bear hunting this April, and it looks, that's not looking so good right now. Uh, I was actually supposed to go last year. Of course, everything got canceled, and this year's not looking too good either. Uh, and then <laughs> it'll just be, you know, some elk hunting, deer hunting, I don't know. I get just kind of waiting to see. I want maybe pick up some different things through the, through the summer. Maybe cancellation hunt or something will come up for this fall. I just 
it's just kind of been wanting to go places where I can just drive anymore at the moment rather than trying to fly everywhere. Um, I do have a Cape Buffalo hunt with Denny Sturgis. We're in July uh, in Mozambique, and it looks like we can get in there just fine, but coming back may be a pain in the butt at the moment. So we're kind of waiting for that to buy our plane tickets uh, to go do that. Um, I've had I've I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of a lot of mountain hunting. Um, I've I've been on some mountain goat hunts in British Columbia and Alaska. Uh, I've been on multiple dial sheep hunts in the Northwest Territories and uh, Alaska, and I haven't drawn my bow yet on a dial sheep. Unfortunately, I've shot mountain goats. We aren't going to talk but, about uh, that, Randy. We're looking onto the no, future. I'm just, I, I was trying to cut you off at the pass for bringing it up is what I was trying to do. Uh, yeah, it's it's been tough. It's been tough. I get within 75 yards of that of sheep and things happen. And this year I thought for sure I had a had a really good ram. Got that, I think it was 86 yards, heading right towards me. And I was at the peak of a mountain just waiting for him to just come up there so I could get a shot at him and uh, the wind changed. So, and that was it. That was a horseback hunt in Alaska. And that was the only shooter ram I saw up there. They have to be full curl or uh, eight years old. And that was the only one we saw. So, uh, but probably, probably the thing I like to, I, I really like doing, and I've been lucky enough to get them is I grizzly bear hunt and brown bear. They're just, I uh, shot a brown bear on the, Alaska Peninsula a few years ago, and then I shot a uh, grizzly bear up in Unicleet, uh, northwest Alaska. And there's just the the there's just something about those great big bears. They you when, you when you get on them, and a bear that's you know pushing a thousand pounds like brown bears can, um, it's just it's just they almost look fake. They're just unreal looking to me, and. Uh, it's it's difficult to do. It usually takes five or six times a lot of times for a bow hunter to get a brown bear. Uh, I was lucky enough to get one on my second hunt. And uh, grizzly bear, I was really lucky and got one on my first hunt. And uh, just it's just getting close to them. The grizzly bear is pretty wide open hunting. And uh, mine went into alder patch where I sat for seven hours with my bow in my hand, waiting for him to get up. And we could hear him in there. He was laying in there, apparently sleeping. We'd hear him roll and sticks break and stuff. And he uh, finally got up and <laughs> out of this giant alder patch, I guess having a good guide where he set us up, he walked right out in front of us, and I was able to get an arrow in him at 23 yards. The brown bear, uh, I had him at 10 yards stood up on his hind legs looking, thought something was wrong. And he turned, and I thought he was running away. He ran right back up the river. He was coming down a river fishing for salmon. And what he did, he ran up on the other bank. He walked down the bank. He was straight across the river from me. I was on one bank. He was on the other. And uh, he stopped in a good spot where I could uh, get an arrow through a hole and, and into him. And uh, he went about 100 yards and... That was it for him. But uh, it's just, it's neat being that close to him. I wouldn't say I have a lot of anxiety towards it. And 
people always ask me, you know, they, they say, aren't you afraid? I said, I'm not afraid of them at all. I just have a whole lot of respect for them. But you, you have, you got to have a guide with a rifle when you're hunting those bears anyway, behind you, to, you know, protecting you and stuff. So it's, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. You, well, you come out West to Colorado quite a bit too, and in, in elk hunt, uh, or you have for what, 20 years, long time. Have you? Yeah. I started elk hunting in Colorado in 1981. However long that's been, I go somewhere every year. I've been to Colorado and Utah, Idaho quite a bit, Montana quite a bit. Um, I have an elk hunt in Wyoming yet. I got up like 13 or 14 points for there, so that hunt will be coming up. Um, last year I had a 61 tag. It took uh, 24 years to draw in Colorado. And uh, it was a uh, – I didn't get an elk, unfortunately, but uh, it's a really, really good hunt. It's it's well worth waiting for the tag, if, especially if you're getting close. Oh yeah. Well, uh, talking about some of the animals you've uh, taken, your your uh, bow and arrow setup. Well, your bow setup's normal. Your arrow setup. You shoot a little bit lighter weared arrow than most people would probably recommend, but you've never had uh, any issue with it. You've shot moose and rung them straight through body length uh what's kind of your arrow set up and what are your thoughts by, behind that like uh in, in my case i shoot the arrow weight that gives me a, in an arrow length that gives me a 40 yard point on and i've gotten used to that so i don't really want to deviate um you shoot a little yeah. bit faster bow a little bit lighter arrow kind of break that down and and talk about it yeah i i i've always when i was younger than that through the year i mean even 30 years ago and that guy's speed was such a big thing and that's what everybody had in their head and and all that and I always shot 70 pound bows and I'd shoot about a 450 to 500 grain arrow and uh we shot actually I shot out of I shot 2413s and we swaged the ends and uh we put 100 grain glue on broadhead on them and never had any trouble yeah I shot lengthwise through a moose with that with that 2413 and that two blade it was a delta nubbin it was uh they aren't made anymore it was just a little smaller two blade head with uh teflon coated on it that delta industries made but uh i'm just i i'm just i and i've said this for years right now i'm shooting about 55 pounds in a 510 grain arrow and i always like staying in that 490 to 510 grain weight um my whole theory behind it and that as far as penetrating is you're only going to go through one time. It's not going to turn around and come back. Um, I don't care how far my arrow goes in the ground after I shoot through an animal. Um, I shot, I shot bison. Um, I've shot three moose with light arrows. Uh, I like my speed mainly keeping up my speed it it narrows my gaps when i start getting out at 40 45 50 yards and uh so you don't have the deviation of a lot slower arrow i i used to always keep my arrow speed up when i shot 70 pound recurve i kept my arrow speed about 210 215 i even had one bow shot 217 um i always kept it up there now the way i'm shooting in that i try to keep it up around 190 or so and it's a good speed and and you know i've I've, the big thing is about 
keeping your bow the same all the time. Just like, you know, like, like you say, you like to tune it for a certain way is it keeps my gaps the same. And you start slowing your arrow down too much or that when you got to relearn all your gaps at longer range and it widens them. Um, I shoot pretty much basic, you know, quote unquote instinctive when I'm up close. When I'm at 20 yards, eh, even out 25 or that, I have a 25 yard point on. So really under that, I'm just shooting more by feel and stuff. But when I start getting outside that, I'm, I'm aiming off the end of the arrow. And I know my gaps. I carry a range finder. Um, it's just, I, I just, I shot in safety for so many years and I did pretty good after 40 yards or so. But if you're going to shoot multiple arrows or you got to, there's, there's nothing like knowing the yardage and being able to know exactly where to aim for that yardage, it takes so much pressure off of you for making the shot because that's that's just out of the equation. If you know exactly where to aim, then all you got to do is execute. Easier said than done, but but uh, it, it makes it so all you have to do is execute your shot. Um, I just I've shot three blade heads with the lighter arrows. I just haven't had any trouble. I mean, I've, I've hit shoulder, I have, you know, everything hasn't been perfect. I have shot into shoulder bone, but I've done it, you know, with the heavier bow and everything and, and not get through too, you know, on elk and stuff like that. But I've also hit just the blade part with the arrows I have and I get through them just fine. Um, I shot a Roosevelt elk through the shoulder blade and just through the blade part, not up where it starts teeing and it got down into it and, uh, killed it no problem yeah that was one kind of eye-opener for me coming from the the compound was uh once you get a fairly you know decently heavy arrow flying really good with a fixed blade head uh you can go through quite a bit more than you'd think if you were used to shooting mechanicals through a compound because they suck so much momentum um yeah i've went through every you know both scapulas on a lot of animals with a whopping 180 foot per second, uh, you know, speed of an arrow with, you know, whatever that's 580 grains and zip through or broke the offside leg. And, you know, arrow flight and the broadhead have a lot to do with that. Uh, to me, that's everything. Uh, it's perfect arrow flight and the broadhead, you know, and, and of course the accuracy, but, uh, you know, Jenny's wife shoots like 32 pounds in a 500 grain arrow. It's a, a grizzly two blade, and she knocked down a kudu and a wildebeest and a gemsbok, and uh, shot through many, many deer and turkeys and stuff with just with that. Uh, she does get close, you know. She'll only shoot probably 15 yards or around there, you know. That's probably 20 is probably a long range for a shot for her. The the trad stuff just is a lot more efficient than a lot of people really think when it comes down to it. Yeah, I, I was surprised. And you've kind of been, you know, through everything with me. In fact, you probably, I get to call you about every morning, uh, which you probably get tired of talking to me, but helped out a lot, you know, kind of through me figuring out all this shit. And uh, it's good that there's a lot of info out nowadays, but some of it's kind of, you know, bullshit. And then some of it's really good, you know, info. What would be some of the info guys wanting to get into trad um, that you'd give them, you know, starting out? Some of the, because you've suffered from, you know, shooting 40 plus years. I mean, you've gone through everything. Like what are some of the things you wish you could have told yourself 40 years ago to do that you didn't? 
Well, yeah, one thing you don't want to start out. Well, the first thing, here, here's what I tell someone. You want to start out with a light bow. 40 pounds is even a good weight to start out with. No, You know, 45 be fine, but 40-pound bow and get a coach. I just don't think there'd be any substitute for it. Um, there's so many bad habits you can get and pick up, and if you don't have a chance to just basically learn them on your own and be taught right and know what to do right off the bat, I think uh, it'd make all the difference in the world because I have habits, bad habits come back to me. I mean, I've been off and on with clickers, and now I'm not using them, uh, needing to use them. I, I'm not getting any anxiety on my shots and stuff, but uh, there's just no substitute for getting a coach when you're starting out to get to teach you the good form and a light bow. And, and you, the coach, I mean, I'm sure you've had several, but the guy you deal with most now is Rod Jenkins, correct? Yeah, Rod. Yeah, Rod. Rod's coach. Rod has coached. Rod's won world championships. He's, he's just an excellent marksman with a, a handgun, a compound, and a recurve. And uh, he really knows what he's doing. He's coached multiple world champs, champion archers, uh, especially for Bearbow. And... Uh, Guys, even all the guys now, the top guys, a lot of them will call him off and on. You know, they're, they'll call him for uh, moral support, even if they're at a tournament and they think they're having a little problem, they'll call him to talk it out. Um, it's just, I, I, I know, well, just the other day, Rod told me he had a guy come down there, had target panic so bad that couldn't get to full draw and couldn't hit a bail. It was just absolutely terrible. And Rod worked with him, I think, either for a day or two. It might have been two. And he said when the guy left, he was shooting perfect arrows. And that's, that's always a big thing. You know, I, I, I quit shooting the clicker because here lately, you know, I was shooting it. I shot it all last year and stuff, maybe before that. But I quit shooting it because it was just turning into a collapse timer for me. And shooting a clicker is a great thing if you want to use it. But you got to have great form to shoot it right and to use it. It got to the point, I just got so mad one day, I was collapsing on it, going off. You start anticipating it. no matter, And no matter what you do, you know, it'll work good for a while in that. But And you can trick yourself. It's just, you know, we always call them three-day cures, you know, where you, you try something a little new and you think, oh, yeah, this is a lot better. Well, you have... No preconceived notions when you do something different. You don't expect that much out of it because it's something new. So you're just going to relax and do it, and it'll seem like it's working out really well. Well, after you get into it a few days, you start thinking, oh, I should be hitting better, I should be hitting better, and then you start getting anxiety again and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's changing anchors, changing, you know, gripping the bow. There's There's just good ways to grip it and and you need to and that's why it's getting a coach because they're teaching you that stuff as far as aiming goes rod doesn't really care how you aim just so you do aim so if if, if you're going there thinking you know it's, it's he's going to watch you to gap shoot that's not true he he you know you can aim however you aim but everybody no matter how you aim you still need to shoot the bow and i believe there's guys that are a little different. Hell, guys get little quirks. Guys that are really, really good will not be perfect, you know, what you call perfect archery form, but they're doing the same thing over and over and over. 
you know, and that's really fine if you can be consistent. Yeah, I, I would say I've got a little bit of goofy shit going on. One thing that helps me is my my bow arm, um, and, and I don't move my head a lot, but I certainly don't have textbook form by any stretch of the imagination. It, it works for me, but I, I've got some you know, issues. Luckily, one of them isn't collapsing too much, but uh, there's other things that go on. I think that, um, oh, kind of like arrows. I, somebody posted a meme the other day that said a smart man once said, uh, find an arrow that tunes by four dozen and shut Instagram off. Form's kind of the same way. It seems like once you get a uh, good expansion, you, you know, you, you're not doing anything crazy with your release hand. Um, stop thinking about it and just perfect that. I, I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, uh, another thing you got to, and I, you know, and I know I've told you this in the beginning too, because you were getting so really shooting some super 300 rounds and stuff is can't, you know, it's good. You can shoot in the, you know, at, at the, and I couldn't shoot the 280s right now, but you've got to keep in mind that you're not perfect. And it's perfection basically can be unobtainable. So you can't, you can't let yourself think, oh, I should be shooting 300s especially when you're only capable bull, maybe you shoot two sixties at the time, because that'll drive you nuts, not thinking you should be a lot better. And that'll turn on more uh, anxiety in you than that. And as you get closer to that 300, the better and better you get, the harder and harder it gets to get better. Yeah. It's kind of like weight loss. Uh, once you drop to a certain weight, it's pretty smooth sailing at first. And then you're going to plateau at a, a, a weight that is is, is going to take an extreme amount of dedication and effort uh, to get any lower, and it seems like form and, and ability and, and scores, whatever, all that, once you get to a certain point, it's pretty minute changes that are going to bump you up any more than you're already at um, once you get good enough, it seems like. Yeah, and, and for me, getting to a point where, you know, yeah, you want to get better, you want to get better, you want to get better, but there's a point where you just want to say, I need to stay consistent. <laughs> you don't want to get worse, you know. Just if you can stay consistent in how you're shooting, you know. And and things guys got to remember, and I've had to tell guys that too, is you got to remember, you know, as far as keeping score and, and hunting animals, two different things, you know. Yeah, you can get anxiety both ways. Um, I, I think the anxiety you get when an animal comes in is a little bit different than the anxiety you get when you're shooting for score and trying to hit a little spot. But the big thing to remember is you're, when you're trying to shoot a deer, shoot an elk, shoot a moose, you can aim for a dime, but you don't have to hit the dime to get the prize. It's a lot more room for error on an animal than there is when you're shooting spots. You find some guys that are amazing target shooters and maybe not, not so good at, um, you know, shooting, shooting animals and some guys that are good at shooting animals and maybe wouldn't be so good target shooters. Very rarely do you find both. It seems like that are, that are really, uh, you know, part of it's probably time, but really dedicated, uh, successful tournament archers that are hunting a bunch, not say they don't hunt, but you only got so much, you know, time in the day in the year. Um, yep. yep. but I, you do find a lot of guys that are real good at tournaments and go to shit. Uh, you know, I'll say from a guiding perspective, I, probably the worst thing I can see is a dude that starts shooting 80 out of the gate 
uh, in the driveway uh, telling me how good he can shoot because that usually throws up some fucking red flags because that normally doesn't pan out that way. Uh, and I end up becoming a professional tracker. Um, the guys that shoot pretty good at 40 and are really wanting to get closer have a little, are a lot less uh, of a pain in the ass sometimes. Not always, but shooting in front of three or four guys in the driveway is a hell of a lot different than having an animal in front of you at 50, 40 yards. Uh, it's just, it's just different. I mean, that's, that's the big question I always get when I get into a, you know, with guides, but any hunt, sheep hunts or that. I, I will shoot at a sheep, an elk, whatever. I'll shoot to 50 yards, you know, but they'll say, how close do you need to get? I said, well, I really like 10, you know, and their eyes get big, you know, and I said, but I'll go to 50, and then they calm down a little bit. But but I want close. Hell, you know, <laughs> I still want to get as close as I can. I don't care if I'm, I'm, I'm deadly at 30. I'd still rather be 20, you know. Yeah. That. There was somebody that brought up, I don't know, for whatever reason, they tagged me, and I don't know what it was about, something with distances and – don't force your effective distance on someone else. And I don't know, some other, the normal bullshit that pops up. But, um, I think, you know, you talk to enough traditional archers that have done a long time, they're going to have a story where they killed something, especially if they shot instinctual where they gripped it and ripped it and then kind of paced it off. And we're like, my God, that was 60 yards or 55. But Mm -hmm. you know, for the most part, like I've shot a bunch of animals and I've only shot a few at 40. Most of them have been, you know, a few feet out to 25 yards. Yeah. I've, I've shot quite a few animals past 40, you know, especially past 35. But I always, I've always found elk or it's hard to get inside that 35 yard range with elk. I don't know why, but for me, it always has been. Yeah. Well, I just think that, um, you know, a guy that can't shoot very well at 20 probably, you know, should stay inside of 20. And a guy that can shoot good at 40 should, you know, stay inside a third. I mean, there's obviously the animal comes into, I mean, you don't want to just be winging arrows out there. but You're right. And I say that because if I get one at 35 or 40, I'm going to be shooting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not going to closer, <laughs> I guess. Well, I've brought that up before. You know, with being honest, I'm like, man, if I get to to 40 and an animal's bedded facing away and it's going to be a pretty sketchy stock after 40, the stock's probably stopped for me. I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and shoot it with, you know, conditions being right. But I'd prefer to get closer, but also prefer for it not to blow out of its bed and run like hell too. So, you know, you got to kind of weigh that out in the stock and see what you're, you're comfortable with. And that may be... 40, 30, or 20, you know, it's, if your comfort's 20, then you got to close 20 more yards. And, you know, for some guys, uh, their wheel, like my comfort zone is inside of 40. Uh, I think yours is about the same. Your, your real comfort zone is 40 and in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I, that's, that's exactly right. That's what I like. Um, I do have a few other point ons now. I got a 53 yard point on with my third anchor and, and I'm shooting that pretty well right now, but, but I don't want to take first shots at that. I consider, I mean, I got a 70 yard point on my shelf, my third anchor, my shelf's point on at 70 yards, but that's for a backup shot at an elk or a moose or even a deer. If I've already got an arrow in it standing there and I think it needs 
another one, I'll take it and use it. And that gives me a gives me a plan and an opportunity to hit it rather than just shoot one up in the air and not having any idea where it's going. So. Yeah, and I've heard you and, and Denny both bring that up is, you know, we're not saying to shoot 60 or 70 yards, but at least have a plan if you need a follow-up arrow rather than just, winging them you know have a good idea of uh of an aiming method or face walking or whatever and i haven't had to wing too many out there well none at that distance on a follow-up but i've had i've had some a couple 50 follow-ups that i was sure happy i i knew where to aim at 50 just got another arrow in them and i'm trying to think maybe four or five occasions i can think of and four of them the animal would have you know died it was a liver shot usually but that 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 deer i just shot in arizona first shot was at 12 yards and when he blew out of his bed I ended up going straight through the liver and he ran a ways and I was able to get closer my second my follow-up shot was out there in that 50 plus range but I pinwheeled him at that distance because I knew where to aim over you know for me in that case I actually just put a little daylight between my bottom of my arrow and its back and dropped right in there so I was glad I had that this animal didn't you know suffer either right i was able to put them down relatively quickly yeah and i don't know about you but i have a lot less thing a lot less anxiety making a shot at 40 than i do at 12 on an animal yeah that worrying about them catching you moving and and all that where if you have something standing there feeding at 40 yards it's there's just less anxiety you feel like you got more time you know you don't you don't want to hurry it so much um i i could i could tell you multiple things but i multiple different times i i shot a deer in the shoulder at 12 yards he was quartering towards me slightly and shot him right in the shoulder and he ran out and stopped at 65 and i laced him i shot another one i shot the white hair off its belly at about 15 yards hurried the shot and he ran out and stopped at 40 and i laced him you know i mean it's just that 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 closeness I, i i don't like them too close when i'm on the ground let me put it that way and a tree stand is not so bad, but when you're on the ground and I get the anxiety, I do get the anxiety of them going to catch me move and moving and stuff like that, you know. I only shot one whitetail on the ground this year, and that's because my dumbass knocked my bow out of the tree, and it bounced off several branches and was kind of hanging there. So I was in a ladder stand, and it was right in the rut, and I'd just done a rattling sequence, and that's how I knocked my bow off is – I, I just have that easy hanger. You know how it hooks and goes up and then comes back? When you when I put my bow on that, sometimes it takes a little more effort to get it off where the string and the limb, it wedges in there. And so lately I've just been resting that hook on the edge of my quiver to get it off the, the easy hanger easier. Well, I had this huge rattling antler set and was all jacked up on Mountain Dew. It was cold as hell, and I knocked my bow off. And I, you know, I, I felt like... Uh, well, if you've watched South Park, when Cartman's pretending like he can go invisible, a little naked boy walking across the stage, I'm like creeping down this ladder stand thinking I'm going to blow all these deer out. Well, the rut was so heavy and everyone was kind of looking around chasing does. I, I got down the ladder and I grabbed my bow and took a knee to kind of assess how much shit I blew out. Well, here came a doe running straight to me with the buck right behind. And right when that doe peeled off at nine yards, I put an arrow in that buck's chest well, Scotty saw the entry hole, and he's like, you didn't suit that from a tree stand. And I was like, yeah, dude, I knocked my bow out. I didn't even want to tell anyone. I was like, I knocked my bow out of the tree and got lucky is what happened. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, what you've got, um, we got, uh, we got about 
I don't know, five minutes left before I, I'm going to run out of uh, SD card, actually. But you, you had a, a polar bear trip plan. Is that going to pan out, or is COVID going to kill that thing? I don't know what's going to happen with it. I've, I've almost thought about trying to find somebody to buy it. I'm, I'm so tired of this messing around and, and uh, with it and that and getting back up there. You can't bring anything back uh, from it. It's all nothing. Uh, you can store it up there, hoping that it's going to open back up to where we can import polar bear. But I don't ever see that happening, especially now. I don't ever see that happening. Um, you can store them for like $400 a year. They'll freeze it for you and keep everything. But uh, Or if you knew somebody, you could have it mounted or whatever and have them keep it. But I, I last year, last year it, I was supposed to go in the end of April, and, of course, with COVID stuff, everything, Canada shut us down. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's just it's more the adventure. Uh, you bay them up with dogs. And then you try to negotiate around and move in and uh, get an arrow in them, you know, without shooting a dog too. And uh, but everybody I talked to and Matt said it's it's a great adventure to go up there and you got to ride a dog sled. Uh, you know, you're sleeping out. It's 25 below zero. Um, everything's you know special clothes. And I got thinking about that. I'm probably gonna have to take three, four duffel bags to get all my stuff in. The sleeping bags I need. The big clothes I need. You know, and the boots and everything. Yeah, that's a pile of clothing, and I don't like being cold. So, I don't know how can you no, fit three hundred hot hands in a carry-on? <laughs> that's what I was thinking about. You know, how many cases of them do I need? You know, to go. But uh, it's a, it's a. I think it's a fourteen day. You get fourteen days of hunting. Um, it's hard to get there. It's the where I'm going is Grease Fjord, which is uh, the far farthest village you can go north on the globe it's yeah but i don't i just don't see it happening this april it's that it's coming up awful close right now and i don't see an end in sight right here from being able to get into canada yeah it's not looking good no and i'm actually just wishing well for the guys that got got all these moose hunts and goat hunts and i was just messaging with another guy uh with a guy a little bit ago before i talked to you he has a goat moose hunt or something planned in bc for this year and uh i think they'll be fortunate to you know the way it's looking i'd be kind of worried and they'll be fortunate to get in there by september you know august september yeah well we were supposed to go on a bear hunt last year which i thought we'd go this year which doesn't look like it'll probably you know pan out no. and my biggest concern yeah. is i have a lot of friends that are outfitters in canada and I don't know how many years they can handle the border being closed down before they go bankrupt. It's kind of a, it's a shitty deal. Yes. I, I can't imagine that some of them guys haven't had to bail on their dream to be guides or run outfitting services. You know, the bigger ones probably, probably have a way of getting by and, and, and that, but, uh, I, I don't know. Cause that's a lot of them guys, those bigger ones, you know, I think Lancasters, they're doing something all year round somewhere, you know? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they are have down a, in Minnesota, right? I mean, Bart, I don't think Bart goes down, does he? Not Clay. anymore. He kind of got it going, and then Clay goes down there with Harder and Nathan French and a few other guys for coos and mule deer and desert. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, Bart, you know, Bart does a lot of predator hunting, and I think he's doing good. He called me the other day because I'm going to probably get up Frank up there and try and uh, 
whack the the three you know the three big predators. I'll probably shoot another lynx, but um, I think that yeah. uh, you know overall that to for me to think like I put seven grand on a moose hunt, is that guy going to give me that money back? Probably not. So I'm hoping they open up the border uh, so I can get up there and kill a moose. I know somebody that has twenty seven thousand paid down on a hunt. I, I believe he's called it the most expensive moose hunt in the history of mankind or caribou or something he was making jokes about it the other day well i'll tell you what i got a lot of money tied up in the polar bear hut right now i i don't know they're you know i don't i don't know what they 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 were telling you know saying to everybody they're just going to push to this year but i don't know how far they can push either you know before it i don't i don't know what's going to happen with them guys i think some people the 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 guy that the the person that has twenty seven in the in the moose hunt, that guy, an outfitter was wanting another seventeen hundred from him. Yeah, which is come r- up there. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. But uh, yeah, it'd be interesting how it all shakes out. We got we got control over it. What I don't understand, you know, it's not like I mean, there's a lot of them in that, but you know. I would think there would be ways and they could have rules to control it. Like, the, you know, like in Alaska, we were quarantining in the field. We had to get a COVID test when we came in. And then they were making the, you know, the guide, why the guide couldn't just pick you up and take you right somewhere, you know, so you aren't going around town and restaurants. And if that's what they're worried about. Yeah, yeah. You know, that there, there would be a controlled way you could do it. Because, uh, you know, a lot of money for them guys up there from us guys down here. Oh, so, it's a ton. I mean, some of those outfits, it's I'm sure probably a couple million with all the sheep and moose and caribou and everything else. And yeah, hopefully it, it pans out for them. But um, yeah, and I don't know if they're still having to buy their permit, you know, their licenses or however they got to pay for their areas and stuff, their taxes and that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and it's a big, who knows? I mean, how all that shakes out, but but man, we got a uh, ninety-seven seconds before I'm out of SD card, so which is per- about perfect because uh, we just hit an hour. Uh, we're we're just almost at an hour anyway, a minute away. So, uh, well, everybody, uh, check out Safari Tough. Uh, they make great products. I use uh, almost everything you make. The quiver and the the back quiver and the the the, the bow case are the big ones. Um, and then Randy, you got any parting words of advice? No, no. I'm not good at giving advice. No, that's not true. I give it all the time. I just tell people that uh, take it for what it's worth. But, uh, no, you can go to safaritough.com and uh, check out my stuff. Cool. Well, Andy, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Appreciate the friendship friendship and all the advice. And uh, everybody else, take it easy. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for everything, bud.